Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Inflation remains high, unchanged at 8.7% in May, and despite predictions, it would fall. As such, earlier this week, the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee met, and on the back of this poor inflationary data, increased UK interest rates by 0.5%, up to a 15-year high of 5%. Economists and commentators have been quick to comment on these changes with the bank's independence and approach to tackling inflation, with their 2% target under great scrutiny. Joining us tonight to talk through a quite extraordinary few days is Danny Blanchfair, CBE, Twitter Banny, and Professor of Economics at Dartmouth College, part-time professor at the University of Stirling and former member of the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee. Hello, Danny. Hi there, guys. Hello. Hello. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, Kerry, over to you. Hi, Danny. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, for uh, giving up your afternoon fishing to talk British economics <laughs> with us. So it, it is appreciated. It's been a, you know, as Matt went through there, it's been a bit of a roller coaster week for economists mm. and uh, sticky inflation, interest rates at their highest in the generation. Can you just talk us through, you know, what has happened this week? Yeah, it's been a, a, a terrible week in many ways. Um, what we've seen this week is that inflation in the UK is extremely high at 8.7%. And the latest data came in really sort of unchanged which resulted in the Bank of England deciding, in a sense, that was a bit of a surprise to the markets that had thought that they were going to raise rates by 25 basis points, but they raised them by 50. Uh, and the logic has to be that they raised them from 0.1 to 5%, so let's say by about 500 basis points, and they've managed to get inflation down by 1. It was about 10. Now they got it down to 87 they ain't doing that well. Um, and the reality is that this is the wrong treatment for the wrong problem, and we can go into that in a second. Where I sit in the United States, inflation has plunged. The central bank didn't raise rates at the last meeting, and markets are pricing in lots of cuts. It's 4% now and very likely to be below 3% in a couple of weeks' time. So the question you ask yourself is, why is it that the Bank of England the government of the Bank of England and the MPC decided that it was appropriate to destroy the British economy, to slow the economy into a deep recession and crash the housing markets 18 months or so before an election that presumably they have now just lost for the government in power. This looks like madness, was madness, uh, and I would have voted for cuts. The basis for, you know, those interest rates, and we'll go through your thoughts on that, was that kind of sticky inflation? Can you talk us through, you know, what that what, what that means in, in, you know, there's various aspects to inflation, but what does that sticky inflation mean? Well, so inflation is an interesting phenomenon, and perhaps a good way to sort of set it up is that it's about the rate of change of prices, so if you, we just do a little simple experiment here. Prices in year one are 100. Prices in year two go to 110, that's 10% inflation. If they stay at 110, that's 0% inflation. And if it goes to 105 the following year, that's deflation, which is normally what's happened. Traditionally, inflation rises. And then because it impacts people's spending power, and also, if, if things are expensive, people stop buying them. So in the years in the past when 
oil prices rose, what did people do? They stopped driving as much. They bought cars that had did better to the mileage to the gallon. So they stopped buying things, which pulls down inflation. One of the problems with this also is that it's had an effect on basic stuff. It's had an effect on the oil price and on prices at the at the petrol pump, but it's also impacted food. Um, and we can talk about the reasons for that, but the Bank of England doesn't really seem to understand any of this and thinks that we're in 1975 and that raising interest rates is the way to deal with a problem that hasn't really been observed in 100 years. And sadly for them, the treatment isn't working. And in fact, it's likely to not work. And the analogy that I've given, which is a bit colorful, is you, somebody goes to the doctor and they said, I've got a really bad ingrowing toenail. So the doctor says, fine, let's operate on it. And he comes out of the surgeon, he says, Doc, how did I do? And he said, well, I've got good news, which is I solved the problem of your ingrowing toenail, but I had to cut your leg off. <laughs> and that's basically where we are, because the treatment, I mean, they look completely and utterly lost, totally incompetent. And what they've done is they've applied the wrong treatment, and now they're going to crash the British economy and the Welsh economy and other places. Um, fortunately, there were a couple of dissenters who were completely sensible, um, uh, uh, but they were in a minority. But I would argue this is completely disastrous. And the big deal is actually that the markets believe me. And now after what happened with trust and bond markets rising to such a high extent, everybody calls it the moron premium. British people are all paying huge amounts of money, extra to borrow money because of the moronic uh, budgets that basically collapsed the British economy, destroyed the UK pension sector. Well, now the UK is having to pay borrowing costs higher than, wait for it, Italy, Greece, Spain, France, Sweden, the United States, Germany, uh, every other advanced country, because the markets don't trust the policymakers, they don't trust the Treasury, they don't trust Hunt, they certainly don't trust the Bank of England. This is disastrous, and we can think about the reasons in a second. Yeah, no, don't worry, Danny, well, because obviously... When we spoke to you last year, you made a few predictions about uh, the potential for a Liz Trust Premiership. So we'll get back to that at some point. Yeah, but... yeah, that was I did pretty good on that. If yeah, I, I think recall. you did pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I um... said she, I said she's going to have to go from Mrs. Stupid to Mrs. Sensible on day one, but she didn't. <laughs> um, so talking of building on what we've been talking about so far, I mean, lots of commentators have been saying that essentially, in order to get inflation down in the UK, we need to enter a recession. And obviously, that would be quite a lot of pain for quite a lot of people. Right. But do, do you think Andrew Bailey is deliberately trying to cause a recession? Well, it, it, it seems so. I mean, the Prime Minister sort of gave him the instructions. But let's just try and clarify for your audience. I mean, what we know is that inflation hurts people. There's no doubt of that. No one's arguing about that. Um, traditionally, actually, what happens is, that in fact, inflation, if left alone, essentially will, will, will tend to go away. But the question is, go back to my analogy about amputating the leg. The question is, if you try and solve inflation by generating a massive recession, the question is, is the treatment worse than the illness that you have? And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, there are long memories in Wales and, and, and the North and other things. Think of the Great Thatcher Recession. What did it do? It raised unemployment rates. I mean, I remember watching the movie The Full Monty. That was a very sad movie. It was about people being utterly in despair. 
because they couldn't get work. And the evidence we have is that, just wait for it, uh, a rise of one percentage points in unemployment, so imagine from four to five, how does that compare to a rise in, in inflation from four to five? The answer is, well, in well-being terms, it's about six times worse to have a rise in the unemployment rate. It took 20 years with Thatcher to actually get the unemployment rate to go back to where it was at the start. So not only do you generate a rise in unemployment and joblessness, it takes an inordinate time to bring that back. So yeah, you say, I'm gonna halve, halve inflation, but I'm gonna create havoc in the housing market. I mean, we can talk again about that. Create havoc in the housing market where there are one and a half million people who are on uh, low fixed rate mortgages for a couple of years, and now they're coming off those and intentionally on the part of the MPC, they're going to wipe out the housing market. They're going to wipe those people's living standards out because that's the, that's the purpose of what they've just done. The folks who don't have mortgages are unlikely to become unemployed. I think it's a really good idea to make people who do have mortgages destitute and wipe out the value of their houses and push them into negative equity. That's what they've done on purpose. They know what they're doing. They're doing it on purpose. The question is, how far are they going to have to go? Well, if you raise rates by 500 and you've got inflation down by one, uh, I, I just set this up for me. In 1989, I left the United Kingdom to go to America because interest rates on my mortgage went to 14%. And that equaled my salary at the University of Surrey. And I said, I cannot pay. I've got two young daughters. And I decided I could go to America. And so I, I know what it's like to experience a big rise in mortgages. So they've done this, they've done it on purpose, um, and it's not gonna impact them, presumably if they don't have a mortgage, they're not gonna become unemployed, they're doing just fine. And it's basically, it's on everybody else. And, they, and the government of the Bank of England says, workers have gotta have pay cuts. Well, turns out that real wages, which means what you can buy today in the UK is no different, not higher than it was in 2007. So he doesn't say to firms and to CEOs and profit takers and so on and Tory party donors that you can take a cut. They say, workers, you've got to take a cut because you're not even better off than you were, what is it, um, um, 16 years ago. So this all makes no sense. And of course, the markets don't like this because they know it's nonsense. Uh, just as a side point, the, uh, there's a new Monty, uh, Full Monty TV show. Yeah, I've seen I've seen that, and it's actually surprisingly quite good. Uh, but again, a really interesting uh, critique yeah, of our current economic of not finding yeah. work. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, so, this talking about interest rates specifically, obviously now they're up to five percent. This is the highest level since two thousand and eight. You know, it's the twelfth, thirteenth rise in eighteen months. I mean, when you spoke to us last time, you said that the Bank of England would sort of be forced into cutting rates by the end of twenty twenty two, but they've kept. Going well, up. What is what's the real politic for why they keep doing this if it's not necessarily well, yeah. the right well, right? well, somebody else has got to pay the cost, right? We've got to blame somebody else. Um, that's the story. And ultimately, there's the somebody else we're gonna to have to get to. So so yeah, in a sense that that the you the handbrake U-turns are what had to happen with with trust, and we can see what happened there. And this is all very likely to happen as the world gets more disastrous, a British, British economy gets more disastrous. But let's just go to why this is all going on and why we sort of put off the evil hour, but it's coming. So there were two shocks common to the world since 2019. 
The first was obviously COVID, and that impacted supply chains. You couldn't import cars from Japan. You couldn't get things that the economy clogged up because nothing was moving. So that was so price rises in the end were caused by supply constraints. So the way you could get prices down for the Bank of England is to build tankers and open factories that can make chips. That's what the Bank of England could do to solve the price problem driven by that. Second, so that's a temporary shock, hits the economy. Um, um, and it's essentially, I mean, I'm sitting here in Sanibel, we were just chatting earlier. I'm sitting have a house on Sanibel. Well, Sanibel last September got hit by a Cat 5 hurricane. Um, it's basically recovered maybe 20%, but it's a disaster. But the reality is that prices of things here are really high. Prices of wood has gone up. Prices of workers have gone up. Prices of everything have gone up. But if you were the central bank of Sanibel, what would you do? Should you say, ha-ha, prices of sand, which have gone through the roof, they've gone up. We have to raise interest rates because the price of sand's gone up. Well, of course not, because in a year's time, unless there's another hurricane, please, please or isn't, prices will drop. So it's a once-off temporary shock. Then what happened was another temporary shock got hit, we got hit by, which was the war in Ukraine. And we were talking today about, you know, the, the Wagner group is going towards Moscow. Obviously, this is potentially another shock. But then the name, the word that cannot be mentioned. And there's a reason why you have to come up with why is the UK worse than everywhere else? And the answer is Brexit. And I was on a, I was on the World at One yesterday, and the interviewer said, well, a lot of people would disagree with that. And I said, really? So what was their explanation as to why the UK is different? I'm an economist, right? They're sort of wishful thinkers trying to make stuff up. You tell me what it is. Tell me the explanation as to why it is of those, the third of those things. So the third one is another shock. It's a Brexit shock which means that as the economy adjusts, you'd expect borders to open, cheap food to flow, things to naturally work in the economy. Well, Brexit has bugged up the economy. So there's the explanation. And the problem for the Bank of England is it, it really wants to deny that it's a COVID shock, it's a war shock, and that, oh, really, the big problem you got is it's really about Brexit. And that's the story. And raising rates ain't gonna solve Brexit. Raising rates is very going to be incredibly ineffective. And that's why you raise rates by 500 basis points and nothing happened. Nothing happened. So then you say, well, we've got to raise them again. And we've got to raise them again. And we've got to wipe out the rest of the economy, which makes absolutely no sense. And the last bit I'm going to say, the two dissenters on the decision were 100% right. Because they said, well, there's been 13 rate rises. And rate rises take about 18 months to two years to have any effect. So they haven't actually done anything much yet. So you gotta wait. You gotta wait because it's gonna get oh so much worse. So the thing which is pretty interesting is that what you've probably seen is complete disaster in terms of economic policy. And the governor of the Bank of England has made it basically impossible for the Tories to get re-elected because the economy is set to tank. The housing market is going to collapse. Uh, and the UK looks like the sick man of Europe, the sick man of the G20. The only country that look, looks worse is probably Russia. I mean, we're borrowing. It's more costly to borrow money in, for the government to borrow money than it is in Greece. Really? And it's all about the workers. It's the workers' fault 
that they're asking for below inflation pay raises and it's the workers' fault. It has nothing to do with the workers, nothing to do with them at all. Why didn't we say to the bosses of the oil companies and the CEOs and the shareholders, okay, time to help everybody else, swallow the wage, swallow the cost increases, swallow them for a while, keep the prices down, do it for the sake of the nation, and when times get better, we'll deal with it. Why didn't the governor of the Bank of England say that? He said it to the you know, to the person working in Swansea, the main street in Swansea says, you've got to take a pay hit, but I'm not going to because I'm doing fine. You've got to take a hit to your mortgage. You've got to take a hit to your wage, but I'm doing fine. It's on you, not me. That doesn't sound great. I don't I don't think his uh, interview this week was very well received by <laughs> large parts that. of... I heard uh, that. Um, <laughs> They, didn't the son call him the plank of England? <laughs> he did. Uh, for, all their many, for all their many, many flaws, they're very good at puns, Danny. And I love this, that there's the lettuce and the plank. <laughs> One of the things, it just really boiling down into, the, into what you've been saying, is do you think there's an element of they're going to keep doing this because they don't want the, the original sin to be proven incorrect? They, they, they view raising rates as the, is the right thing to do, so they're going to double down. Well, it seems that way, doesn't it? But the markets have no confidence in them. If you look at their own survey, where the survey asked, "What you know? What do you think about the Bank of England?" It's disastrous. The, the, the confidence of the country in the Bank of England um, has plummeted. So the you know, in a way, you, you you do something stupid, and you've got two choices: you carry on doing more stupid, or you try and do something sensible. Um, and the question is, when it, what happens? So a little story to just to set this up. I gave a talk last week to the uh, in Scotland to the British pension, all the pension funds, and I said to them, the week before the week before the budget um, and um, the, the, the announcement came in the budget, did anybody speak to any pension fund, anybody, the pension associate, any of the companies prior to the budget? Did anybody speak to them, you guys, at all? And they said no. So I said, so on Monday, and what would you have said if, you, if they'd have said to you, we're going to do this? They said, well, we'd have told them they were out of their minds. So they said to us on Monday morning at nine o'clock, whatever it was, Monday morning, they got into the office and they realised that the that, that trust had basically bankrupted the entire British pension sector. I mean, having discussed it with them. So this is the, and then on Tuesday, the mortgage market collapses because they didn't, basically, because the mortgage company couldn't price products. What you're going to see here is that Bank of England is going to wipe out many of these banks who are holding these mortgages because people are going to go into negative equity. They can't afford to pay it. Same is going to be true of car loans and other things. So the answer is they kept on doing what they thought was quite useful in 1975. But remember, this is the same group of people the same institutions that missed the Great Recession in 2008. Recall in 2008, I kept saying, you guys, you don't know what you're doing. This is a Great Recession. Anyway, you've got to worry about inflation. I remember August 2008, the UK had been in recession since April. Every European country had been in recession since April. The US had been in recession since December 2007. And the other eight members on the committee said, we've got to worry about inflation. Inflation's at 5%. We've got to really worry about it, and we've got to raise rates. Well, here we go, same again. They they got they said the same things then. So this, this whole infrastructure, this whole method of doing things, I mean, they have no idea what's going on with inflation. They have, they have no idea what's going on, admitted it, they haven't the faintest clue. They haven't the faintest clue in 2008 either. So, so 
the, the man on the, the man walking down you know the main street in Cardiff is entitled to say they know not what they do which is what I wrote in a blog this week um they know not what they do and they're making it much worse and obviously the question is at what point do they make um handbrake screeching u-turns I mean Hunt went to see some of the banks who said things like oh well we'll dither and dather for a little bit and hopefully things won't be so bad but yeah that ain't gonna work what, what, what do you think will work Danny you know the Bank of England I'm sure they've got um you know a lot of things to do but the big one which is in the news every month is that two percent target and I think as long as I've been interested in this side of it is a very much an amateur kind of view. They're very really on that 2% target. They're either well under it or, as we are now, well over it. They obviously got the lever of interest rate, which is they're independent of government with that. Are there, are there any other levers they've got? Or well, are they, are they, has government got levers okay. they should be using? You see, they've got a, they have a lever called interest rates, and they have a lever of interest rates when things are basically driven by stuff on the demand side, by people pushing for wage increases and so on. They don't really have the interest. The point of what our conversation is that the interest rates don't work really well when what you have are supply side problems. Think about what happened in COVID. So prices of stuff went up. The price of wood went up. Well, why? Because you didn't have domestic production of wood. You imported it from around. the. So what does the central bank do? Does the central bank go, oh, the price of wood's gone up. We've got to raise interest rates. Well, that that's obviously um, a, a problem. The other issue is is this case, just to throw a for, from a non-economist. So why do you think the inflation target is two? Any idea? Why not two and a half or three or one or four? Do you know the serious answer is that um, thirty of, of, about forty years ago, a guy in New Zealand thought. Uh, well, 2% is a good idea. Let's try that. That is literally the reason. So what we've learned, Kerry, is that 2% was just an arbitrary number. Pick pick a number. Well, you know, that's so you picked up. But here's the thing we learned. We learned that the problem with 2 is it's too close to 0. So what if you'd have picked 4? Suppose that Blanche Flash says, well, actually, here's a solution. I'll make the inflation target 4. Well, the first benefit with that is that you wouldn't have to cut raise rates so much because you could get it to four with bank of in the US. It's now at four already. Right. The problem when it got to zero is we went, oh, God, what do we do about negatives? But the other one is two was picked randomly out of the sky. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, literally was picked randomly out of the sky. And so the, there are issues about what do you do, do you have a dual mandate? The bank of the, the bank of the US has a dual mandate to do with jobs and inflation. To some degree, the UK used to have that. Now the Tories have said it's all about inflation based upon nothing, based upon guessing. The logic is, I said before to you, that a rise in the unemployment rate is six times worse. In pain terms, it's 13 times worse. So you say, you know, pain rises because of unemployment. People in Wales suffer much more in their pain, pain terms of a rise in unemployment, which affects the people who are unemployed and it affects everybody else because they're worried about their children and their grandchildren and their partners and so on. So the answer, the answer is this inflation thing is, is from an age of the 1970s. It's not for this age. 
And they just, it certainly seems to me that, that the Bank of England first, the MPC second, and it's, and it's the tools that it has are not fit for purpose and then made worse by the treasury that also seems unable to understand how the world is. And basically, if you're, if you're making overly tight monetary policy, you should loosen fiscal policy. And they've made the double dilemma and done that in the other direction as well, which is why the markets have basically treated, they treat the youth, the Treasury and the Bank of England as if they're as if they're institutions in a banana republic, which has never been true before. Because they allowed trust to exist and operate and do the things that she did. And now there are now we're seeing this this you know basically a basic desire to crash the economy and to sit if to from the United States. To, to allow a country to make the most ridiculous economic suicide decision that has ever been made of Brexit. Are there any other levers, though, whether they're in the Bank of England gift or uh, government? And this is one of the interesting... Well, I, I well, there are, oh. Kerry, there are some, some, some things you could be doing in the sense that, so you're creating a terrible recession by raising rates. So can you alleviate things by reducing rates? So let's just go with another another complication, shall we? If you look at what they actually said in their in their decision this week, and the report that they produced in May, this will surprise you and be and it's sort of a dilemma. And I quote it in the blog that I wrote: The Bank of England currently is forecasting that inflation will be below one percent in eighteen months, and there's a significant prospect of deflation. The bank's own forecasts say that it should be cutting rates so it ha it does have you know it's like it's like what does your car have your car has an accelerator and a brake and you're hurtling off into oblivion because you're pressing the accelerator do you have the right equipment sure you do you should just be pressing the brake not the accelerator or the other way whichever right so the answer is that the bank of england why markets don't trust it is its own forecasts and the statement it made out on a thursday say Basically, they should be cutting rates, not raising them. And so voices of people like me are supported by their own forecasts, which is the, which is the huge dilemma. It sounds complicated, but that's why two people dissented and said, this makes no sense whatsoever. They dissented today as I dissented in 2008. And pretty much for the same reasons, which is that the others are in some gaga, I call it gaga land, um, 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 worthless. I mean, the other part of it is that the way you might want to do it, Kerry, is you probably should try and reform the Bank of England, the way that it operates. And I've argued a lot about that. I've written a recent paper with, with Andy Levin. I mean, imagine if you scrapped the MPC in the form that it's in and you said, OK, that there'll be five members of this committee, the governor of the Bank of England and a representative of Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and perhaps the manufacturing sector and the service or some such thing where you actually have representation where somebody, instead of saying like the current, I mean, the, 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 the current internal members of are either they either work for Goldman Sachs or work for the Treasury, and they all live in London. Well, the answer is it, it is about having tools, but it's about understanding what impacts ordinary people. So, in the United States, the the structure is that there are representation from the whole from the whole country. Who represents the interests of Wales? Who represents the interests of Scotland? Who represents the interests of Northern Ireland on this committee? And you appoint, and I mean, they just replaced them. Uh, Tenray, who's a professor of economics, with another another banker. So you've got a banker, a banker, 
um, um, and then Goldman Sachs and bankers and treasury people, what, what do they know? What, 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 they don't even live outside London and the Southeast. They've probably never even been to Cardiff and know where Swansea is. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. the truth. I, I, totally I know where it is. I went to school there. My grandparents, it's okay, I know. <laughs> I used to go to Gow, you know, I went to Cardiff, the university school, you know. I mean, but that's the truth. So the answer is what tools do they have? They have tools which involve having people who actually understand what's in the best interest of the of the people of the country. And that's and that's a really big dilemma. And I think politically we're in deep trouble and you know, people are, people are, I mean, we've seen rising strikes. I mean, what did, what did Sunak say in the last 24 hours that probably they're going to um, not accept the recommendations of the public sector pay review bodies and not give recommended pay rises to teachers? Oh, that's a good plan. That's a really good plan. So inflation's at 8.7, the pay body recommended six, and you're going to say we're not going to implement that. So, so that's a two and a half percent cut in real living standards so they're going to make it bigger that should be popular i i, I really well i'm quite worried about the two percent target and where that's come from now you've told me is that's quite I, I, interesting I mean, it's literally true that is literally true and so think of the logic if you had it a little bit higher no reason to not have it at four that would mean life you know we, as long as i mean the thing about it is inflation is fine as long as it doesn't vary too much but everyone should understand once we got down to zero then what can you do? Can you have negative interest rates? What, what, that's why you have to do quantitative easing and all of this. But if you had inflation target just a little bit higher, that would mean right now they wouldn't have to be raising rates to the degree that they are. Hmm, that would be a good fix. But I, I often wonder this way. I had a few uh, discussions with people about the, some of the other levers, I think, uh, with government, because, you know, and I, this is where the politics come into it and why the Bank of England was given that independence, but there's an element of the government having the ability to use their tax raising levers, which are also oh, powerful. Of course. And do, do you think it's the politics of that which makes them not want to use that? And, you know, well, there's various yeah. aspects of tax we could look at. Well, I mean, the United States has just passed an inflation reduction giant spending thing, um, which is the opposite to, to the to the austerity story. I mean, I thought, you know, I, I think I, after I was at the Bank of England, I wrote weekly columns in the New Statesman and the Guardian and the Independent. And I talked about Slasher Osborne. And I talked about what happened and, and basically the class war that Tamara and Osborne um, basically declared by imposing austerity. Uh, austerity was based upon no economic foundation whatsoever. It was based upon, uh, a, 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 well, essentially a lie about the fact that you get to 90% debt to GDP ratio and that slows growth. That was shown to be at best, at best a spreadsheet error. So what you have then is growth from 2010's rising. Then you impose austerity. And, the, uh, and both Cameron and Osborne has had this, this last week in the COVID inquiry, had the temerity to argue that, that, uh, that, um, that, that their, their economic austerity um, put improved the British finances. Well, remember borrowing costs higher than Greece, and and basically uh, the purpose of that, in my view, was to just make the poor poorer, and made them more vulnerable to both a pandemic shock, um, uh, a, 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 an oil price shock, and then basically and it, it was responsible for Brexit. So this entire period of 10, 12 years of, of rule, where you have austerity, 
you have take away make the country more vulnerable to shocks and then you and then with the inflation you say it's all the workers fault um you know we're, we're, we've got seven million people in waiting lists on the and the nhs but we're going to cut pay on the nhs and we're going to cut the pay of real pay of teachers and then complain about the fact that teachers are quitting because the pay is too low i mean this is this is such absolute economic incoherence and incompetence I, I, it's hard to see where the bright spots are. And obviously Labour's position is going to be, I'm not going to say anything yet. I'm just going to say a pox on all your houses. It's going to be a right mess. We'll wait to see what you deliver us and then we'll talk. That is a considerable concern. That Are they doing the, the work? And I suspect they're not. But but I, I agree. I think we're in, I think we're in a, a terrible situation. Living standards are collapsing around us. Um, and people are rightly scared. I can't, I mean, I, the only hope I can give to people is that um, it'll get bad enough that this government will have to reverse itself and the bank will have to reverse itself. But, so, you know, presumably there's going to be social disorder and unrest. People are going to stand up and say, enough. So I'm going to build into a little bit uh, again on that, Dan Danny. So uh, we've talked a lot about the Bank of England, but if we can talk a little bit about sort of High Street Bank products now so one thing that's been talked to me uh, one thing that's been said to me a lot in this last week is by uh, my friends who don't have mortgages they're sort of savers younger people uh, and they're they're questioning whether this interest rate hike could actually be good for them will they see uh, their savings accounts will they will banks pass on this interest rate rights to, right interest rate rise to savers is that at all possible well, well if the oil price rises there are losers and there are winners. The rise in oil prices helps Saudi Arabia and Iran and other places, and there could potentially be winners. But there are always losers. And the question is, do the losers have any effect on you if the losers are your grandchildren or something like that? The other thing, in a way, that people don't really get is that if you raise rates, that raises the cost of borrowing to businesses, and it lowers their profits, and it lowers their dividends right so obviously if you slow if you slow the economy you could say well yippee you know i'm relatively better off than someone who took out a loan but i'm still worse off right i'm worse off i'm just not as worse off as the guy next door or my pals well that's that's fine um you know the the, the impact the impact now of rate rises is less than perhaps it was because you know a third of people own their own their own houses, um, but then you know th th there there are issues here. Savers against borrowers. I mean, at the Bank of England, I recall the letters you mostly get from people are from savers who say, "I want higher interest rates on my savings, and if anybody had to borrow money, it's their bloody fault. Tough luck. I want higher interest rates." Well, it, I mean, the question you have to ask these people is: so you'd like to crash the economy, would you? Great, you're a saver, yip de you. Now you're, you're a saver, you're doing fine, but your pension isn't gonna rise, the benefits aren't gonna rise, and you or your wife or your child or your son or your grandson is gonna be out of work. How would you like that? I mean, that's the answer. So you, know, you, you can say, well, it's fine, I'm better off than they are, but unemployment hurts, and it hurts much more than inflation does because everybody's hurt by the experience of unemployment. It's hard to escape from it unless you're a member of the MPC living in London on a pension from Goldman Sachs and from a nice income. And 
but you know now that now they're bleating because people are complaining about the fact that they've decided that somebody else has got to pay for their incompetence not them just on um... worker the ordinary worth worker in Merthyr Tidville is the one who's got to pay yeah I think I did look at what Andrew Bailey's uh annual salary and pension pot per annum was and it is he, he gets very well something, something right it's about 600 is that right 600 all in 100 100 grand a year pension pot and the half right. a million salary right but he's just, not going to take any hit no any, and he, i presume he doesn't have a mortgage so you know <laughs> yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's a fine, different but you, how could you end up saying workers have got to take a wage hit why why i mean i mean real wages today are the same as they were in June 2007. How is this because of workers? It absolutely isn't because of workers, you you stupid man. You're out of touch with reality. I mean, I mean, come on, come on. The workers should just say, shove it. It's not because of me, it's because of your incompetence, not because of me, not because mm. me asking for wage increases. I'm asking for wage increases of 5% with prices rising at nine. So my real living standards are falling. And you're telling me that they should fall more? Come on. I think, I think the Bank of England comms team got a lot of this week. It, the, the optics looked really bad on... Well, they deserved uh, it. They entirely... Couldn't you think of anybody who deserves it more? Well, yes, yeah. Um, just, I, 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 I'm breaking up our script, but just on what Matt asked there about the savers... One of the things which I thought was quite interesting was the government decided to meet with the lenders yeah. and see if they could kind of cajole them into certain things. I don't know what they were expecting, and I think they got a few concessions over kind of longer term and uh, freezing of mortgages. But do you think that's something they should be looking more at, whether well, that's even feasible? Well, I mean, really? Who benefits from higher interest rates? The banks. So... If you don't do it, I would have said to them, you can voluntarily do things to help people. You've got a week. And if you don't, I'm going to impose a tax on your profits. And I'm going to fund, I'm going to basically help the people who've been hit by this because your profits have gone through the roof. So you've either got two choices. Go and do something. Don't pass on. For example, don't pass on the interest rate rise. Swallow it. You could swallow it. You don't have to. Because remember, they don't pass it on to the savers. So you could swallow this for the good of the country. You swallow it. And obviously think about what happened with the energy prices. You say that to the to the oil companies, huge increase in their dividends. The Labour Party says impose a, a tax and then eventually the, the government, well, why not do the same for the banks who've actually winning out like gangbusters and showing no, no intent or purpose to help people. I mean, here's something you could have done, just as an example. In 2015, you should have done this around me here and my kids in the United States, same institutions give mortgages. They sell 15 and 25 year fixed interest rate mortgages. So in 2015, why didn't the government say, ha ha, well, interest rates are really, really low. We'll allow this product to come. Would you like to buy a 15 year mortgage at two? Well, yeah, I would have. So then if the interest rate rises, what happens? Well, the answer is the banks take the hit. You don't. Well, they didn't want to do that. Well, you had the option from, from 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 of introducing these products. You can't say that the products can't be introduced because the same banks as operate in Britain operate in the United States and offer them. So there was a fix you could have come up with. Um, you, you, could even, you could even offer them now because what happens is that 
people take out these mortgages. Suppose they took one out today, which is not a smart thing to do, but you might have to. But what people can do, imagine you took a mortgage rate out of six and in 18 months interest rates dropped to two. Well, then you can refinance it. You drop the six and you buy a two, right? So obviously the government has chosen not to. It chose to help the banks. It chose to give income to the banks so that when interest rates rises, the people who were mortgage holders would, would lose and the banks would get more money. Well, they could have done that and should have done that and over a 10 year period and chose not to. And now they're bleating. Well, sorry, that's that's the consequence you brought by your lack of lack of sympathy for the poor people who you tried to trash through your through your austerity. And you and you remove the if you like, the, the buffer that was there from the public sector. And here you are again trying to do the same thing. You trash the NHS. And now you're, you're going to try and not even go along with the recommendations of the public pay board. I mean, this is I mean, I remember in the 70s, I was in college. There was a three day week and there were strikes. And, you know, this was really and there was trash on the streets. We people and I mean, you could tell me more about it, but people I don't think are happy. No, well, whilst we're on uh, mortgages, um, Danny, I mean, I don't know if you've seen this week, but the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt has said that uh, mortgage lenders will have to implement a 12-month waiting time before they start repossession proceedings um, against those who can't afford to pay them. But 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 that's great, because in 12 months... I was just going to ask... In 12 months, how's that going to Yeah, I was just going to ask, is is that simply just delaying the inevitable pain? Yes, I mean, so here's the thing that also people they haven't talked about. So you're delaying paying on your mortgage, but what they've done by this action is they've crashed the value of your house, right? They crashed the value of your house. So now you are sitting in negative equity. Well, maybe what you should do is just default. If you're sitting in negative equity, you say you're gonna read, well, fine, let the banks deal with it. So now they've driven people into negative equity and tried to force them to carry on making these payments, but. The institutions themselves are now holding, they're now holding mortgages where people are going to be in negative equity, which is not good. I mean, in, in what happened in the United States in 2008 was a thing called jingle mail in many, in many states. So jingle mail was, there's a no recourse loan. So once you made a loan, if your house value went negative, you could literally, without a recourse back to you, you could take your keys, put them in an envelope and send them to the bank. And that wiped out lots of banks. Well, we've got issues with banks around the world. We've got issues with banks, and think in America, we've got huge issues with commercial real estate, which we probably do in the UK to come. Half, half in offices, but in America, office space is occupied half as it was pre-pandemic. So this is generating another whole slew of implications. Remember what they didn't know that they were going to have an impact on the pension sector. They couldn't. They had an impact on the mortgage sector. Presumably, what we're going to see is that. Um, the mortgage sector is going to be in deep trouble because, you know, yes, you better start, you're doing your thing on, yes, you better carry on paying, but you've got a £300,000 mortgage on a house that's worth 200 Now what are you going to do? I mean, that, that's where we are. So I know we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the last time you were on, you did give some, I think, fairly accurate predictions about what a Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng um, 10 and 11 duo would do. So you said there'd be a hit to the bond and stock markets as well as the shorting of the pound. So I think pretty spot on. Um, <laughs> what was your assessment of that period of premiership? And and even with those predictions, were you surprised that she managed to do so much damage in such a short space yes. of time? Yes. So I wrote, I talked with you. I wrote a couple of columns in the Evening Standard and elsewhere. 
and I said, the markets don't like a clueless amateur. I said that the, the day you get into office, the chief advisor, meaning Tom Scholar, who was the permanent secretary, is going to explain to you that you can't do any of this stuff. The thing that surprised me was, A, she didn't, con basically fired Scholar. Second, didn't consult the, um, uh, the pension sector. Um, as far I also heard from someone who told me that the, 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 the nameless person at the cabinet office told me that the cabinet office weren't told at all what was coming, and neither was the OBR. So uh, the thing that struck me was the utter incompetence on the part of these clueless amateurs. But I think what, did, what surprised me most, I didn't think it would happen that fast. I didn't think, you know, three o'clock on Friday afternoon, you announced it. And by noon on Monday, the UK economy was trashed. I mean, I, and, and the, the idea that you would have a website with a picture of a lettuce and the country was watching to see who had a longer shelf life and the lettuce won. I mean, I mean, Brexit had made the world, the UK, a laughing stock. And then this, and then this woman, this clueless buffoon, has then tried to go and say, "Well, nobody told me about that I would crash the pension sector." And nobody, well, we did tell you actually. We told you the markets don't like clueless amateurs, and you're an idiot. And that's how it proved. But the but the fact is that she was the prime minister. She implemented these measures. That's why we have the moron premium. That's why. Kerry and Matt and other people watching this are spending, you know, $1,000 a year each, £1,000 a year probably each, extra, every year because of her, because of the people who voted her in, the Tory party who allowed that to happen, complete disarray. But it's not as if it was a surprise. It was, we, we predicted it, we talked about it. So I was shocked that it happened that quickly. Um, you know, the lettuce won. But but that's but the credibility of this government is, you know, it's in it's it's it's. I've never seen anything quite like this. I've never seen beyond amateur. I have never seen anything so incompetent. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if the chancellor fired the governor of the Bank of England because they need a fall guy. I I wouldn't be surprised. So I, I'm. We'll get on to that, but I'm intrigued just to follow up on Liz Truss before she's, you know, forgotten into history, apart from when she turns up at the Senate every year. <laughs> um, what have you made of her statements since leaving Downing Street, that essentially it was the blob, the markets undermining a demo democratically elected prime minister? What, what, what have you seen of these sort of strange statements she's been making uh, um, since? Um... I, I've been a professor for nearly 50 years. And if you fail somebody in a test, <laughs> um, they normally come and say, you know, I shouldn't have failed my test. And you say, I've done this for 50 years, and yeah, you should have. And what you've said, you know, I'm afraid you failed the test. So I, I think it's, um, uh, I mean, it, it, the, the trickle-down economics stuff, was always a laughable joke. I mean, she even thought she would try and make Mark Little was a lord. Really? Oh, great. Um, so there's the Institute of Economic Lunacy, who've argued about trickle-down economics and that, you know, you can do all of this stuff and you can... I mean, I mean, even even there, several of their... My old dear friend, Jerry Lyons, he and I were to graduate school together. 
we politically don't share, but we, you know, we're quite different politically, but he's a good fella. Um, and I go on programs with him and, you know, we can have a decent conversation. And he told them not to do it. He told them that you shouldn't do this. He told them that you have to be mindful of what the bond markets are going to do. And in the column I wrote for the Evening Standard, I said, recall that James Carville wrote that he was the chief advisor to Bill Clinton. And he's the one who got the phrase, it's the economy, stupid. And he said, apparently, he wanted to come back in the next life as a great baseball hitter. You know, so with one of, you know, a great hitter at baseball. And he said he realized after doing work in economics that he wanted to come back as the bond markets because they really have power. And thankfully, they destroyed Liz Truss, who deserved it. So again, whilst we're on the Conservative Party, what has been your assessment of Sunak? And do you, yes, do you think that he might he might need a fall guy sometime soon? Well, I mean, he was the chancellor. He supported Brexit. Um, he has done, I mean, he supported the, the madness of Brexit, which has basically lowered the GDP of the UK enormously. And since it happened in 2016, I endlessly said, could somebody please tell me an economic benefit of Brexit? And nobody to this point has ever come up with one. So I think he takes the blame for that. And then, and obviously when there's political issues about, you know, we'll, we ignore the politics, but the idea that you would say things like, I'm gonna halve inflation, um, I, I think the answer is he's gonna pay the political price of inanity and not really understanding the economics. I mean, the whole thing that he did, which was, what was it, eat out, what was it, dine out to kill people, whatever it was called, right? Um, um, so so I, think, I think he will go down as, you know, hard, hard to be, I mean, hard not to be better than trust, but hard to see how he's politically gonna, gonna survive this. I mean, I mean, the only issue I think is to what extent does the Tory party get wiped out? I mean, you've been in office for 14 years, Ronald Reagan, the famous line, which is, you know, are you better off than you were when this lot came into power? And the answer is clearly not. And so I think Sunak was, um, looked weak, uh, his economic strategy is weak, and the very fact that he has has advocated for Brexit means he gets an F. Coming towards the close of the pod, Danny, and I, I think we're going downhill, but I, so I'm worried about my next uh, question. We're not going downhill. Well, no, 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 the, the, we've got we, we, we've got this government for you know for possibly over a year uh, yeah, or more agreed. now. Yeah, agree. And you know what do you you know where we are now? The the roller coaster of the past week. Um, and you know, quite significant global things going on at the moment. Correct. What do you what do you think the prospects for? Well, firstly, the UK economy, but then the the wider global economy for the next year. You know, hopefully, you'll come back on for your third visit this time <laughs> next year or something. Of course. You know, well, let's just see what your uh, what your well, uh, predictions are. Economies like. bounce back, right? People bounce back, and they learn, and they learn from mistakes. So. Hopefully the, the answer is, I mean, think about what happened in 2008. Um, so the economy was hit by a horrible shock. People missed the Great Recession. And then eventually the policymakers got, the, got their act together, threw the kitchen sink at it, and the economy bounced back. And then what happened was that the bounce back was killed off by George Osborne. And so the economy, you know, trundled along. But basically what happened was that people were insulated against the severity of the shocks by a very low interest rate. 
right? So you, the interest rates were really, really low. I remember once on an aeroplane, I'm flying and I used to fly back and forth all the time. And I was on a British Airways plane. I look up and there's the pilot. <laughs> and I said to him, shouldn't you be flying the plane? And he's got a huge bottle of champagne in his hand. And he says, well, actually the crew up front knew you were here and you were the guy who got interest rates down. And he said, they wanted me to say thank you and send me this big bottle of champagne. I said, well, thank you. I can't drink it, but I can declare it. And I think the staff can, but I have to declare it as a gift. But the answer was that that insulated people. It insulated people if you have the relatively lower wages. If, you're, if your mortgage went from six and a half percent to two, life was not quite so bad. And so the thing is that the, we should have we should have allowed for some of that buffer. We should, as I said, try and find ways of, of insulating people. But I think what's happened is that people people have not have not got a strong buffer against a shock, and the economy hasn't. But I'm hopeful that sensible people will turn things around. We'll start to see people realizing that you know maybe there won't be a you know a, a new referendum. But obviously the right thing to do is to start to think about means by which you can collaborate and cooperate with Europe. You can deal much more with, with free movement of peoples. You can start to think about deals where you can get food moving and prices declining. I think in a sense, you've got to let the sensible take over. And it may well be that you're going to need a set of regime changes, a new government of the Bank of England, a new group of people think, setting interest rates, a new set of people at the treasury. Um, I mean, I suspect that the next year is going to be one of turmoil. It's hard to see. It's hard to see with all the things that are going on that people are just going to sit and take it. Well, see, next year we will have elections in both right. the UK and the US. Do you have any right. pearls of wisdom or predictions for well, what might happen? Well, obviously, the, the US is pretty interesting. I mean, we're, I mean, I live in the state of Florida here. I'm here now. Um, it actually turns out that Governor DeSantis was fantastic in actually rebuilding the bridge to this island um, and, is, and, and is very popular in, in southern Florida. Obviously, the issue is to do with Donald Trump dominates much of the news. Um, the economy, I think, we will see the economy here looks much more resilient than the UK economy does. As I say, inflation is coming down, markets are pricing in rate cuts. I think that the government has not been uh, cutting spending so much. So hopefully... We're going to start to see an economy here bouncing back. And when if the US bounces back, the UK generally bounces back later. But the pressure, I think, on the UK to do sensible things is now very great, not least from, from the markets. Think about Biden's made it clear that there is not going to be any trade deal between UK and the US. And there's certainly not going to be any possibility of breaking the Irish peace accords and all of that stuff. So I think what hopefully what we'll see is sensible people and dogma. Sensible people will overcome dogma. People will realize that Brexit was a disaster. And we have to find means by which we can make this better for ordinary people. And a group of people who think it's a great idea to make the poor poorer perhaps have to wither on the vine. And so economies will bounce back. And the British spirit will presumably win through. Um, and there'll be some hope here. But... I think there's a good deal of pain yet to come until the incompetents are booted out. Without without going into um, American politics in too much detail, Danny, uh, DeSantos might be popular in the South, but hasn't he gone to war with Disney in the in the other part? Well, he, of... ha he has, yes. He's gone to war with Mickey Mouse. 
and he passed. A, he pa- I mean, he's gone to war with Mickey Mouse. I mean, come on. He also passed a thing which says that abortions beyond six weeks were illegal, and he's gone to war with woke. So there's all of that stuff um, that we've seen shenanigans going on in the Congress where people are fighting with each other about two two MAGA women are fighting with each other about whether they're going to try and impeach Biden and censor some. I mean, it's all. It's it, the politics have just become kind of laughable, but ignorable. I mean, it's ignorable in the sense that this is this is talking to a twenty percent of the population, but it's going to be the next election is going to be determined by women voters in the, in the suburbs, and they're 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 pro-abortion. They're you know they're much more centrist, and the question is who's going to be able to go to the centre. Um, but I think what we're seeing is obviously the sort of death throes of Trumpism as uh, as the various court filings build. So, in a, you know, in the last couple of years, there's been a, an attempt to tell politicians to get off Twitter, to stop listening to their echo chamber. But unfortunately, Danny, at the point of the episode, which we'd normally ask people what their Twitter handles are, you've been kicked off. Do you have any idea why? No. No, um, I, no, I have no idea. Although I did, I think I have a guess. I have a guess what it was. So, but they won't tell me. They just said you're off. I go. It's been a Twitterless world. It's got. So here's what I think happened. I had a blue verified um, sticker, right? I had a uh, I had a sticker which um, uh, said you were verified. I had 120,000 followers, and it got removed. And I said, this is ridiculous. I said, I'm not going to pay eight bucks. And I'm not going to, I'm going to block anybody else who had eight block bucks. And I said, the reason is that prior to that, there was one Pope who had his Twitter handle verified. And now there are 23. Made no sense. So I think that's probably what happened. And I just said, this is a joke. So I was booted off, never told why. And a Twitterless world seems better. So I do have a new blog, if you go to my webpage. It's called the Economics of Walking About blog. That was was going to be my next question. So again... Thank I'll you so. You, I'll send you the link, and if you can post it, that would be good. But absolutely, um, I, I have been, I have already been um, blogging away, trying to um, trying to suggest that um, life is complicated. Why you boot me off? I don't know. Me, Elon <laughs> Musk probably didn't like me. I don't think I did anything other than that. Just, to, but I think that's probably what it was. I wasn't going to play my eight bucks. And I think I also said I think everybody else should block anybody who spent their eight bucks too. So that's probably what did it. Um, Danny, it's, a, it's an honourable estate, right? Absolutely. To be Twitterless. <laughs> Danny, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on for the second time. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please don't forget to find us on all the socials at Here I've Pod. You can go to our website, www.walespolitics.com. And thank you so much for supporting us with your ears. But if you would like to do so with your wallet, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Here I've Pod. Thank you for listening to Here I've. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.